This is Catholic Daily Brief. Episode 38, The Challenge of Believing in the Church. In the Nicene Creed, the creed that we say every Sunday at Mass, we not only say that we believe in God the Father Almighty, and in Jesus Christ, and in the Holy Spirit, we also say, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. The church is worthy of our belief because it is not just a human institution, it is also a divine institution. Remember how we talked about the two natures of Christ, the human and the divine, and how that's often compared to scripture, having a human element and a divine element, and that's also said about the church, having a human element and a divine element. A human element in the sense that it's made up of human beings, it is in some sense under the care of human beings, but a divine element because it's instituted by Christ and also because he promised that he would send the Holy Spirit to guide the church into all truth and that the gates of the netherworld would never prevail against it. That is, hell and evil would never prevail against the church. The only problem with that is that it seems that the gates of the netherworld are doing a pretty good job these days. There are plenty of obstacles and challenges both to Catholics and non-Catholics to believe in the divine institution of the church, to believe that the Catholic Church is the one true church founded by Christ, to trust her shepherds, to trust her bishops and the Pope, to believe in the divine institution of the church and its divine mission of evangelizing the world when there have been scandals and bad shepherds, hypocritical Catholics and hypocritical bishops, hypocritical priests. All of these present an obstacle and a challenge to our faith. So in this episode, we'll just try and figure out how we deal with this, because it's not a new phenomenon. There have always been, and there always will be, hypocrites and sinners and poor examples and scandalous behavior, scandalous leadership in the church. It's an unfortunate reality, but it is reality. It is the reality of our fallen nature, our fallen world, that whenever you have a community of human beings, no matter what that community is, whether it's secular or religious, you're going to have the possibility and the likelihood of corruption and sin and scandal. It really shouldn't be a surprise to us because it happened even in the time of Christ when he founded and instituted the church and chose his apostles. Among his apostles were a traitor, one who publicly denied him as well, and the rest who basically abandoned him. So if that's the original college of bishops, as we call it, the original leadership of the church, then we can see what was to be expected. Now, of course, all of those original apostles, save one, went on to be great saints. But the point is that Christ, who knew the hearts and minds of man, still chose those who were deeply flawed, and even one who rejected him and was lost eternally. So any community of human beings always involves sin and scandal. That doesn't, however, excuse it. Christ has harsh words for any who would cause scandal or lead others astray. You have, for example, his seven woes in the Gospel of Matthew, where he's basically tearing into the Pharisees for being hypocrites and for misleading and for blocking the door to salvation, blocking the way of recognizing the Messiah in their midst. He has harsh words for those who commercialize what ought to be sacred, who secularize what ought to be sacred. We can see plenty of that in our day and age as well. We can think of Christ clearing the temple of the money changers. Think of Christ's harsh words for those who would cause scandal or mislead 
those who were innocent, the most innocent children. And he said, it would be better if you tied a millstone around their neck and cast them into the sea. So just because sin and scandal is a reality doesn't mean it's an excuse. In fact, those harsh words are reserved for, most of all, the leaders of the church that he instituted, those to whom we ought to look for an example of holiness. They're the ones who will be punished the most severely for misleading or causing scandal. That's why your priest is much more likely to go to hell than your average lay Catholic, and a bishop even more so because they have more authority and are supposed to be better examples. And the Pope, most of all, is in most danger of going to hell. We might think of it the opposite, that popes and bishops and priests are most likely to go to heaven, but that's definitely not the case based on Christ's words. That if we are the one who is supposed to be in the closest relationship with Christ, to have the most knowledge of his teachings, we should be the best example and should be the most holy. And if we're not, then it's so much more to our condemnation. Someone who's in a position of leadership in the church is most likely to cause scandal. Scandal, by the way, is leading someone else into sin by your actions or by your words, causing another to sin, causing another to stumble. Someone who is supposed to be a good example, an example held up before all, is the most likely to cause the most damage when they fail in their duty. This should cause all of us to reflect and examine ourselves deeply, whether you're a layperson or a priest or a bishop, how much do our actions show forth the truth of the faith, show forth the face of Christ in what we do and what we say, and how much do we mislead others? How much do we push others away from the church by our hypocrisy, by our actions that don't reflect the truth of the faith? It should be an examination we make often and should cause us to have a healthy fear because this is something we will answer for. It should bring us to repentance, to a renewed determination to live in imitation of the saints. We should pray for all who are in leadership in the church, the shepherds, because they are in most danger. Not only do they live in a world that is totally opposed to the faith, but oftentimes they lack the moral courage to push against that. Oftentimes you have bishops, priests throughout the world that are even blatantly and explicitly pushing things that are antithetical to the faith. You even have the Pope praising people who are godless, praising people who are openly opposed to life, openly opposed to the church. These are things that should cause us to pray. Yes, they cause righteous anger, but we shouldn't remain in that anger. We should pray because such people are most in danger of condemnation and eternal loss. There's a misguided desire now for the past maybe 50, 60 years of trying to make the church more like the world, whereas the mission of the church is to be a light to the nations, to make the nations, to make the world more like Christ, to bring them into the church, not to transform the church into the world. When people come to the church, they seek healing, they seek something that opposes the evil influences of the world. The church is supposed to be a hospital for sinners. It's supposed to bring healing to those who have been damaged by the evil ideologies that we find outside. And so this attempt to make the church quote unquote more relevant has caused immense damage. And those that have contributed to this trend will pay for it dearly in eternity if they don't repent. 
Now all of that of course is very dark and depressing, so it might surprise you that part of Catholic apologetics is to prove the truth of the Catholic Church by viewing it as a moral miracle. Meaning, looking at the incredible saints produced by the church, that is, looking at those who actually do live fully and completely according to what Christ teaches through his church. We look at those who are authentic examples of the Catholic faith, and we look at the almost miraculous nature of their lives, how incredible they were, how transformative they were in the world, how many people they brought to Christ through their words and deeds. That's how you evaluate the truth of something. If you want to evaluate, for example, communism, you look at the principles of communism and you look how it's played out in history and you see that its fruits are mass death, that when you live by the very principles of communism faithfully, you end up in a very bad place. That those who actually lived by the real principles of communism, devaluing human beings, making individual human beings simply serve the state, an actual, in principle, denial of God's existence, Living by these principles produces bad fruit, and it shows the evil of communism as an ideology. This is how you evaluate ideas. This is how you evaluate institutions. You look at those who live by the very principles of the institution and judge those fruits. So just like if you were to say you're aware of someone who lived in a communist country and they were very selfless and they loved God and they served their neighbor, you're saying that a person is good because they went against the principles of communism. Likewise, if you find a sinner who calls himself a Christian or a Catholic more specifically, and you say this person is evil, they always steal, they always cheat, they don't value their neighbor, to the extent that they act like that, they are in fact not a Christian or a Catholic. They are contradicting the very principles of the religion they claim to practice. So all that to say, you judge something by those who actually practice it faithfully. So we wouldn't condemn the entire practice of medicine because we find a lot of people that abuse the authority they have because they are doctors. We wouldn't discount the entire realm of education because we find plenty of examples of bad teachers or bad curricula. We wouldn't discount the entire practice of any art or profession because we can find people that go against the principles or the very goal of that profession. We judge each thing by those who are best, the best examples of it. So on that count, it is in fact true that the church is a moral miracle. The saints produced by the church lived lives that are the most extraordinary in history. The church has produced the most transformative human beings, the most transformative personalities in history. People that lived a life that is inexplicable apart from the grace received from Christ through the church. People that lived lives totally devoted to, for example, prayer, contemplation, service of the poor, service of their neighbor, love of the Eucharist. They performed miracles. These are the shining examples of what the church is. Those who loved the church the most, who lived and thought and spoke, everything they did was to imitate Christ and to love his church, to abide by the teaching of Christ through his church. This shows us what the church is. You can point to the lives of the saints and say, this is everything the church teaches us to do. This is what faithful discipleship is. Likewise, you can point to the example of the worst priests or popes in history and say, this is what it looks like when you live a life opposed to everything that the church teaches. You might say in an indirect way, it's a proof of the 
divine institution of the church that some of the worst examples of people in history are those who knowingly contradicted the teachings of Christ as taught by the church. So while it's important to call out scandal and to oppose corruption wherever you find it, in particular in the church, we shouldn't let that get us down and ignore the fact that there are far more examples of the divine institution of the church and the incredible effect that the grace of the sacraments can have on the lives of human beings and how transformative we can be in the world when we humbly and faithfully live according to the teachings of Christ through his church. For every bad or unfaithful pope we can point to, we can point to many other holy, humble, faithful popes. For every bad Catholic you encounter, every public sinner, every scandalous priest or bishop or lay person you encounter, you need to also keep in mind those who are quietly and humbly living a life of service and holiness, of which there are many more. A self-described Catholic layperson or politician or even bishop or pope who opposes, for example, the right to life or opposes marriage as taught by the church or opposes anything the church teaches cannot really call themselves a Catholic. It is better to discount the words and actions and teachings of such people because they do not represent the Catholic faith even though they claim to. Once again, we judge something by those who live it faithfully. So always look to and read about the saints. They provide a lot of encouragement, both because they are shining examples of the glory of the Catholic faith and the divine institution of the church and examples of what grace can do. There are also so many of them that we can each find at least one saint that really helps us in our particular state in life, our particular vocation, our particular struggle. We can always overcome the, the depression that we feel when we look around the world and how terrible things are going. We can over, always overcome that and receive consolation by looking at the lives of the saints and how they bravely encountered the, the difficulties in their place in history. They provide a guide for us on how to oppose the evil forces in the world and how to be lights to the world, lights of the truth of Christ and his church. Thank you for listening to Catholic Daily Brief. Please become a member at patreon.com slash catholicdailybrief and also follow on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and a good review. God bless.